started. Uh, we are very um, glad for all of you uh, who are joining us, and especially for those of you who are joining us for the first time. A couple announcements. Um, next weekend will be our All Home of Christ retreat. Some of you guys will be going. Some of you will not be going. And if you're not going, I just want to remind everyone that we will have no English service, but we will have a combined uh, translated service in the new building at 1115. So all of you guys, you early birds, just realize that the service will be at 1115 in the new building, and there will also be no Sunday school as well. Um, so just, just keep that in mind. Um, also, the, 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 the other thing I want to highlight really is in November, I know it's a little bit a ways away, ways away, uh, but in November 15th, we'll, we're planning an English congregation retreat. Now, uh, this is something we've never tried before, but I'm really excited about it. The goal of this retreat is for us as a congregation to get to know each other, uh, to develop relationships, uh, and hopefully just understand what it looks like to be a family of God, right? And so a lot of times we, we look at this across this room and we're like, oh, I kind of recognize them. I might not know their names, but I kind of recognize them. Uh, and so hopefully this retreat will allow us, both, both services, uh, to come together and get to know one another a little bit better. We're continuing on in our series on dysfunctional family, and we're kind of going uh, broader. We're actually going to be looking at dysfunctional relationships a, a little bit. And we've been talking a lot about reconciliation. We've been talking a lot about forgiveness in recent weeks. And especially as it relates to family relationships. And the truth is, hopefully you, you've received this by now, that we're all broken people. Every single one of us, we have broken relationships. And the Bible tells us the reason why is because we're broken, right? And the Bible gives us a, a technical word for that. And that, that word is sin. We're all sinful. And over uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, but what does that look like for you? It's a good word in theory, but what does reconciliation look like in your life? What if someone really hurts you? Like they, they, you really trusted them and, and you love them and, and they stab you in the back. Today we're going to be looking at one of Paul's shortest letters. It's a, it's a beautiful letter written to a man by the name of Philemon. It's sandwiched between Titus and Hebrews, there's only 25 verses, only 300 or so words. If you have a, a church Bible, it's on page 580. But in these short verses, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what reconciliation can look like. And I don't do this often, uh, but today we're going to try to do, uh, I'm going to try to do something uh, I've done before, but not often. I'm going to preach you a story and allows us to enter into the life of the character that Paul is writing to. Allows us to perhaps empathize a little bit more uh, with the words that he is writing. And so what I need for all of us as a congregation to do is to put on our biblical imagination caps. Imagine we're back in the first century, and we're hearing this message from the perspective of Onesimus. Onesimus, that's, that's my name. I've never really liked my name much. It means useful. 
And I, I felt like it was kind of a dig. My, my master Philemon, he, he named me useful, and I think to remind me of my position in life. Growing up, he would say, hey, useful, make yourself useful. Ha ha, yes, like I've never heard that before. Hey, hey, useful, why don't you go do that and, and be useful? I, I hated my name. I, I wanted to be more than just useful. You know, my master Philemon, he, he's a good man by, by any stretch of the imagination. He, he could have done really anything he wanted to do with me. Uh, but he, he didn't mistreat me. Um, but, but I wanted more in my life than to simply be useful. One time, Master Philemon uh, took me from our city of Colossae, which is a, an okay-sized city, but he took me to the big city, Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, I, I saw the temple, and I, I saw the women, and I saw the market, and I was moved and I started thinking, I want this. I want this big city life. I, I, I want more. And, I, and it just kind of got lodged in my brain. I, I wanted more than what my life had to offer. I wanted to go to Ephesus. And I started thinking, well, why stop at Ephesus? Why not go to Rome itself, the biggest city in the entire empire? You ever want something so bad that you, you just can't get it out of your mind? You're just consumed by thinking, how am I going to get there? How, what do I need to do to get there? So, so I hatched a plan. I was going to run away. And I knew the risks for a slave to run away. I've seen slaves run away. They were beaten. They were flogged. For some masters, they would be crucified. And I knew the risk, but, but I just wanted Rome so badly. How is a man like me going to get to a city like Rome? My master Philemon didn't have any business in Rome, and, and I never was good with money. I, I, I didn't save enough money to, to actually finance my way to Rome. So I hatched a plan. One day I, I would steal from my master. The opportunity came up one day. Master Philemon took his wife, Aphia, and their kids, uh, Ar his son, Archie, and, and, and they brought him to Ephesus because apparently there were some famous speakers speaking in Ephesus, and, and he wanted to, to hear him. And so they were going to be gone for a whole week, and during that time, I, I found my opportunity. I entered into the, the master bedroom, and, and I took all the jewelry that I could fit into my knapsack, and I hightailed the heck out of there. Sure, I was scared. The first few weeks, I kept on looking behind me. I was sure somebody would recognize me as Philemon's slave. Every time I sold off a piece of jewelry to get one step closer to Rome, I was sure they would ask me, where does a man like you get such wealth? but it never happened. Weeks and months passed, and I finally made my way to Rome. But when I got to Rome, boy, was it worth it. The energy of that city, the people, the women, the food, the market, the Colosseum. 
I had heard stories of the Colosseum. They said this Colosseum could seat 80,000 people. But when you enter into that room and you hear the roar of the crowd, you cannot imagine what a sight that was. To see gladiators fight each other, to, to, to see great battles reenacted in this Colosseum. To see prisoners thrown to wild animals try to make their way out. Well, one day I, I decided to go to the Colosseum. I was watching another gladiator fight when a man next to me, he yelled over the, 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 the yell of the, the, the crowd. He says, this is something else, isn't it? I looked at him. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. We started talking. I told him, well, I'm still kind of new to Rome. I'd love to, to see all that the city has to offer. And he looks at me and says, have you seen Paul of Tarsus? No. Paul of Tarsus, is, is that a show? It's not really a show. He's a Jew. Funny thing is, the Jews don't seem to like him too much. And he's talking about this, what does he call it? He calls it the good news. I, I don't know what good news he could possibly have, because he's actually imprisoned under chain with a Roman guard. But people are, people are excited to go here. People want to see him. You want to go? Sure. That's what I came to Rome for, to see all the sights, to see all the shows. And just like that, I met Paul. I mean, I wasn't the only one. For a man who was in prison, he sure was popular. People would coming to him day after day. Now, Paul was under house arrest, and Rome, in their infinite wisdom, decided Paul didn't need to be in a dungeon with all the violent criminals. And so they allowed him to be in his own house, uh, under guard, of course, at all times. And I guess this worked out for Rome, because they didn't have to feed him, and they didn't have to house him. Paul had to figure out all that stuff for himself. But it worked out also for Paul, because Paul could have visitors, and he could talk to them, as he did with me. Craziest thing, though, when I first met him, though Paul was a man in chain, a man imprisoned by Rome, a man under constant guard by soldier, in him I sensed that perhaps he was the freest of all of us. So I listened to him day after day. Some of the crowd stopped coming, but I kept coming back. He told me of a man named Jesus. He said, Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God's only son. And not just that, he came to die for my sins. And if I believed in this man, God, Jesus, then all of my sins would be wiped clean before God. Now, I, I didn't need to be convinced that I was a sinner. I, I knew I was a sinner. I had stolen from Philemon, from Aphia. I'd broken the law, and, and Paul says that all of us stand guilty before earthly masters and our heavenly master, God, as well. And he would look at me, and he would say, Onesimus, that's God news. That's good news, that God gives us grace. 
that God extends kindness to those who are unworthy. God extends kindness to those who are unworthy. We don't deserve kindness. We don't deserve forgiveness, he would say. But God gives it to you, Onesimus. And, and whatever you've done in, in your life, God gives you grace. That's the greatest news you'll ever hear, Onesimus, that God extends kindness to those who are not worthy. And so like that, I decided, I, I wonder what that man Paul had. I wonder what that man Jesus was offering. I wanted to, to be reconciled to God. I wanted the good news. And it was indeed good. It was great even. And I couldn't get enough of it. In fact, I came to, see, I came to Rome to see the sights, to taste the food, to, to, to experience all that it had. But what ended up happening was I spent all my time with Paul there in his house, under guard, learning more about Jesus, more about this good news, more about grace. I was a changed man. I was a new man. And since Paul was in chains and I, I wasn't, I, I became his helper. I would get whatever groceries he needed. I would cook for him. I, I started making some wonderful ravioli. They, you know, those Italians, they sure know how to cook. And I would cook for him. And I would get parchment for him to write on. That Paul, he, he wrote a lot. Whatever he needed, I got for him. I guess my master was right. I, I was useful. Day after day, we would sit. We would talk. He would share with me how he started following Jesus Christ. He would say things to me like, you know, Onesimus, I'm the worst of all sinners. I used to kill Christians. You may not believe that. But I used to kill Christians, and yet God welcomed me home. God extended grace, even to me, someone who killed his followers. God loves me, and God forgives me. Onesimus, never forget that. He would always say that. Onesimus, never forget. That's grace. That's the good news. And you and I, Onesimus, we've been saved by grace, not by what we can do. We're not good enough for God, but what Christ did on that cross is good enough for you. God welcomes you home. I'd ask him sometimes, but Paul, so unfair. You're sitting here in the prime of your life under chain. You know you're innocent. You know those Jews out in, out in Ephesus, they, they falsely accused you. It's not fair that you have to appeal to, to Caesar. Weren't you mad about it? He taught me a funny thing about grace. He said, Onesimus, here's the thing about grace. If you receive grace, although grace is free, you are now indebted to grace. You have to pay it forward. He would tell me things that Jesus had said that he had learned from the disciples themselves, men that he had tried to throw in prison. Jesus said to him, to them, you know, when you've been forgiven much, he would tell me, you love much. When you've been forgiven greatly, you, you, you generously forgive others. And, and here's the truth, Onesimus, he would say to me, if you only forgive a little bit, maybe it's because you've never understood grace. 
He taught me the prayer that Jesus taught all of his disciples, especially the part where Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I don't know how long I stayed with him. The time passed by so fast. It was, it was almost like I was one of his disciples as he was teaching me the words of Christ, sharing with me and challenging me. Well, one day Paul said to me, Onesimus, you have become very dear to me. You are indeed useful to me. You help me with everything that I need. And, and, I, and I fear, I've only told you about my life. I, I'd like to get to know your life a little bit more. Where are you from? Are your parents alive? Are they well? What, what, what did you do? I was reluctant to tell him. But I figured since God had already forgiven me, I, I might as well come clean with him. I said, Paul, um, there's something you should probably know about me. Go on. Uh, I'm from a city. Uh, it's a small town. I mean, you've probably never heard of it. It's called Colossae. Colossae! I know of Colossae. In fact, I was just writing a letter to the the church in Colossae. What a small world. I bet they would be so happy to hear one of their own is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, there, there's a little bit more to the story, Paul. I, I used to live with a guy um, by the name of Philemon. Philemon! You know, I was just right. You know, Philemon met me one time in Ephesus. He brought his wife and he brought his son and I just had the privilege of leading them to Christ. And you know, I'm writing to that church in Colossae that's meeting in his house. You know, you know, Philemon, tell him I say hi. Praise the Lord. Um, there's a little bit more to this story. It's actually his slave. And I, um, I ran away. Oh, I see. And um, in order to get to Rome, I took a few things. Well, I actually took a lot of things. And that's how I made my way to Rome here, Paul. And Paul paused, and he said to me, Onesimus, you know what you have to do, don't you? You have to go and make things right. For God has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Now we must be reconciled with one another. But Paul, <laughs> Paul, you of all people should know the laws of a runaway slave and a thief. I want to make it right. I, I, I do, I, I really do. But I'm not sure I want to be beaten or imprisoned or crucified. You know what, Onesimus? I, I, I think you'll be okay. Here, let me write a letter to Philemon for you. Give it to him when you see him. And, and if I know Philemon, you know, Philemon knows about grace too. You'll be okay. And so he wrote a letter and he handed it to me. And with much fear and trepidation, I, along with Tychicus, we headed back to Colossae. 
Along the way, you can imagine how much fear I had. I mean, Philemon had every right to be angry, every right to seek retribution, to demand justice, and by now, the jewelry is long gone. Was I doing the right thing? Was I doing the, the smart thing? Was I ready to face the music? Finally gets to his door. He opens. Onesimus! What are you doing? I can't believe. How dare you come back here? How dare you show your face at this house? Athea is still fuming about all of her lost jewelry. You better have every single piece or I swear your life is done. And as he's turning around to yell at the slaves to seize me, I, I, I muster all my strength, sir. I, tr I know you must be very upset with me. I'm sorry for running away. I'm, I'm sorry for stealing from you. And you have every right to throw me in prison. I didn't want to say crucified because that might just plant an idea in his head. But um, before you, you, you seize me, I, I have a letter here for you. And could you just read it first? A letter, huh? Yes, sir. It's from, it's from Paul. From Paul? Paul of Tarsus? You, know, you met Paul? Well, fine. And he, as he's clearing his throat, as he's opening the letter, I, I look behind him, I see some of the other servants, and, and there's other neighbors that I, I didn't recognize, and the, they're all focusing their attention on me, and, and it suddenly dawns on me that, that perhaps this was the church that Paul was talking about, that was meeting in his house. He opens the letter and he reads... The words, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, is that Paul in prison again? I always told him one day, if he's not careful with that gospel, he's going to get thrown in prison. I bet even in prison he's sharing the gospel. I bet that guard is a Christian now too. He continues to read, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, in the church in your house. He pauses, he yells behind his shoulder, Aphia, Aphia, come over here, it's that thief Onesimus, he's here. And Aphia comes to the door, what are you doing here, you thief? Throw him in, throw him in prison. Yes, dear, I know, but he has a letter for us from Paul. And he told us to read this letter first. They continue reading on. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And as they're reading this letter, I, I begin to see their face soften. Aphia says, Paul is such a dear brother in the Lord. Do you remember that night how we all prayed together? And here he is. He's encouraging us from, from prison. What a, what a good man, she says. 
they continue reading, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending you my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. And Philemon looks at me sternly, Onesimus, I think Paul thinks you're a Christian now. You might have pulled the wool over his eyes, but does he know what you've done to this family? Atheist says, keep, keep reading, dear. So if you consider me your partner, Paul writes, receive him, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now, Philemon, he's looking at me, a little bit perplexed, a little bit resigned. Huh, I guess you did tell Paul what you did to us. And I, I guess if Paul trusts you, then... I guess I will too. And Paul says you're a changed man, and Paul says you're a believer, and I'll take his word for it. Very well, Onesimus. We won't throw you in prison. Go to the slave quarters. Get dressed. Get cleaned up. They'll tell you what to do. At that point, Aphia pipes in, um, honey, I, I don't think you, you read that last part right. Didn't Paul tell us to welcome him? as we would welcome Paul? And would you put Paul in the slave's quarter, honey? Of course not. But, huh. Very well. Go set up the guest room. Get dinner ready. And just like that, slaves start moving around. Aphia grabs me by my arm. Well, I guess if Paul welcomes you, we welcome you too, Onesimus. I'll make you my famous lamb chop tonight. Welcome home, brother. And as if it was still a dream, she leads me in and welcomes me home. What a wonderful book, isn't it? Short 25 verses that Paul writes to us that paints for us a picture of what forgiveness and reconciliation looks like. And whether you find yourself in the shoes of Philemon or perhaps in the shoes of Onesimus, there's a lot for us to learn. For some of us, we are like Onesimus. We have yet to experience the grace of God. We've yet to experience the grace from people. And some of us were thinking, um, but they don't know what I've done. Even my close friends have turned away from me. Is there any hope of grace for me. And the lesson from Philemon is this, is that God's grace is big enough even for you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been. 
God's grace reaches you. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're in the highest power of authority. God's grace is enough for you. God's kindness to the unworthy is there for the taking. Because the truth of the matter is we are not good enough for God. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross is good enough for you. God is waiting to welcome you home as his daughter, as his son. For others, what do you do when an Onesimus comes knocking on your door? For some of us, it's personal. We've been deeply hurt. We've been wronged. We've been falsely accused. And like Philemon, we have every right to be mad, to seek retribution, to seek revenge even. But the message of grace cries out, if you've experienced the grace of God, how can you do anything less than to pay it forward, to extend the grace of God to others? If you've been forgiven much, won't you forgive others greatly, freely? What about for us as a church? What do we do as a church family when an Onesimus comes in? Whether it's here on Sunday or small groups or fellowships. A person who, who has made bad decisions, perhaps their whole life. A person who we despise. What do we do when Onesimus comes in? And for some of us, we're, we are like the older brother in the prodigal son store. We've been doing the right thing our whole lives. And here comes a prodigal and God's throwing this party and we're like, is that fair? Some of us, we might say, fine, come on in, but go to the slaves' quarter. We do that by treating them differently, with distrust. We don't welcome them in as we would welcome someone we love. But the message that Paul tells us in this letter to Philemon, we are called to welcome the repentant with open arms. Welcome home, sister. Welcome home, brother. We are glad that you are here, and when you're here, your family. There's a pastor, Gordon MacDonald. He writes this, and I think it's so true. It's from, a, actually, Philip Yancey wrote this book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And he says, Gordon MacDonald says this, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses. You need not be a Christian to feed the hungry. You need not be a Christian to even heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. That's what we bring as a church family. That's what we bring as Christians to the world around us. And there are times when we're seeking reconciliation and we just hit a wall, we're at an impasse. And there are times we need someone like Paul. We need someone to be, uh, or we need to be a Paul for someone else. We see the change in a person. We see the change in a, in a person's life. And we need to personally vouch for that transformation to, to take upon our own accounts what they have stolen, what they have robbed. It's not easy to be a Paul, is it? I think Paul is able to do that because Christ has done that for him. Christ saw the worst of all sinners, a murderer, 
a persecutor of the church and he changed his life and he paid his debt. And Paul understood that if you receive grace, you are now obligated to show grace to others. You know, there's more to this story than what we have in this book. Around the year 100, Ignatius of Antioch was a bishop of Antioch. Antioch was a place where Christians were first called Christians. The bishop of Antioch was also imprisoned by Rome. And he was making his way to Rome. Along the way, at some point, the church in Ephesus sends a delegation to encourage Ignatius, to pray with Ignatius, to give him comfort, to, to give him what he needed. Because they knew for certain that Ignatius was headed to his death at that time. It was certain that a Christian would die. And after this delegation left, Ignatius wrote a series of letters thanking all the churches that had supported him, specifically the church in Ephesus, which we still have record of. In this letter, he thanks them for sending this delegation, but especially for sending their bishop, whose love surpasses words, he writes. I pray that you may love him with a love according to Jesus Christ and that you may all be like him. That bishop's name was Onesimus. Onesimus was a man marked by grace, changed by grace, and paid it forward. Won't you be too? Will you pray with me? God, there are times when we are confounded by the gospel. It calls us to live differently, to think differently, to love differently. And there are times where it's just so hard to forgive those who have hurt us, to welcome back the repentant brother and sister, and yet you call us to do that very thing. Father, would you remind us of the great love we have received through your Son, Jesus Christ, how we were all sinners, not deserving grace, and yet you extend kindness to the unworthy. That's grace. Would we be so overwhelmed by your love for us, by your grace for us, that we can do nothing else than to pay it forward? Open our eyes to see those we mistreat, those we still send to the slaves' quarter. Open our eyes to those we need to forgive. Open our eyes to those that we need to stand in between to intercede for. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful and short book. We thank you for paying our debts. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.